Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. Uh, yeah. Oh, God, I'm a mosa here. So I'm mean, yeah. better than I was. Been a good weekend, though. Now that uh, myself and some of my friends are fully vaccinated, we've been able to go out and about a little bit more. Yes. Still being safe, but less stressed about going out. So it's nice. Yeah. And it's nice because you can interact with people who are vaccinated without yeah. a mask or anything, which is great. We did that with our friends um, yesterday as well, which is why. I'm just drinking orange juice. <laughs> not mimosaing it. So yeah, I uh, we had leftover champagne, so mm-hmm. put it to good use. I mean, you have to. It's gonna go bad if you don't. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And <laughs> it was already sitting for a couple of months. So oh, you know, oh time no. was running. Yeah, time was running out on that one. So hopped on it real quick. But uh, yeah. so what are, we, what are we talking about today? Or am I starting off with my uh? my own survival story? Yeah. So last week we did, um, where we were having everybody write us in their own like personal survival stories. And we stressed that it didn't have to be something like crazy happened to you. Mine was the time I was on a sinking ship Mm -hmm. (laughs) boat, really more of a boat on the ocean, but Haley has a ton of stories as well. So um, today she's going to share one of hers. <laughs> they, all, they all pretty much happen in Utah too. So like we've said earlier, <laughs> Utah is a death trap. <laughs> um, so I was in Utah working a seasonal fisheries job. And what we were doing out there was removing this introduced invasive fish species called the brook trout. And in Virginia, brook trout are native. In Utah, they are not the cutthroat trout is what is native out there. Um, and trout fishing is a sport out in the West and it, trout fishing is a sport anywhere. It's just fly fishing um, for them. And so I guess, I don't know what year it was, but it was a handful of years ago, these fishermen brought brook trout into Utah to be part of the trout fishery, not knowing that brook trout spawn at different seasons than the native cutthroat trout. And so at a certain point in their life cycle, brook trout turn from being insectivores to being pescivores, which means that when they're small, they eat insects. And when they get larger, they eat fish. So 
The cutthroat trouts spawn at a later time in the year than the brook trout do. So the brook trout, as they get larger, they are now large enough to eat the cutthroat uh, small larva that has hatched. So what's essentially happening is that this introduced brook trout species is eating the native species and it is declining the native population. So they are a manage there is a management plan that they do out there, which, um, you know, to remove the introduced invasive species, they, part of it is they do this rotenone treatment and rotenone is a chemical compound that <laughs> essentially suffocates the fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so to do that, we would spray along these, um, like these streams and we would just put rotenone in these specific locations, um, and essentially kill all the fish that was in there. But disclaimer, we weren't killing all of the fish. We were just killing all of the brook trout. So prior to putting rotenone into these streams, we would electroshock the streams uh, to get. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was to trying get, to figure out how that was going to uh-huh. work. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we would electroshock the streams and get all of the fish out like the native fish and then we would just you know whatever whatever was left through there and we would do two or three passes you know like enough to know that it's pretty much all clear mm-hmm. and so then yeah then we would wrote known a section of the stream so we would put that up at the top and then at the bottom would be like the wow i'm drawing a blank on the name uh <laughs> words are hard <laughs> Now you know how I feel every week. (laughs) It's not, I don't want to say buffer, but, but you, so you start the, you start the rotenone treatment at the top of the stream Mm -hmm. and then at the bottom of the stream, like in that specific section, we had another treatment that negated the rotenone treatment. And so everything from there on after was fine. Gotcha. And so we were just targeting certain portions of these streams at a time that's cool I didn't know that that was a thing that you could do (laughs) yeah it was really cool and like so we were out in Ashley National Forest so in northeast Utah and we would work for 10-hour days and um so Monday to Thursday we were out there and we would camp up there and it's pretty much off the grid and so when we're setting up these stations we're walking through the forest and you know, along the streams and everything and flagging stations and putting buckets out and whatnot. And so there was one day when me and a volunteer were walking to like one of our designated sites to flag Mm -hmm. it and put some, um, some buckets out. And so everything was going fine really. And thankfully we were given, we were all given GPS walkie talkies before we all departed from each other. Cause we all took sections of this, mm-hmm. um, assignment. And so, um, we left and we went on our way and we knew where we were going and everything was fine. And we, fi- we just had finished marking everything and getting things set up for the next day when it started sleeting and snowing. Fun. And yeah. And so, we hid under some really tall pine trees because like they were so tall it kind of made like a tent so we like went into these trees to take cover mm-hmm. and um once it was all done 
we came back out and everything had a blanket of snow and sleet over it. And we totally lost our bearings. <laughs> and so we didn't know how to get back to the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and um, thank God for the GPS walkie talkies. Cause like we, we started walking off into what we thought was the right direction. Cause you know, on the way out, we're like, okay, that tree has this flag on it. Like I remember that air, like that log falling over, over there, like, and you just use those markers to get back and forth. So with everything that had a blanket of snow and sleet over it, we obviously lost all those landmarks and got real turned around real quick. And we thought we were going the right way and we were not going the right way. And we mm-hmm. found that out because we ended up coming out into this like field and we were just like, we didn't walk through a field to get here. So <laughs> <laughs> don't remember that. Um and so then we turned around and like backtracked our steps. And then at a certain point, we just like, we were on the, we, we had to go on the walkie talkie and ask my boss, like, Hey, like we're lost. <laughs> like yeah, straight up yeah. lost. <laughs> and we don't know how to get out. Like everything's covered in snow over here. Like, uh, can you help us out? Um, and so the walkie talkies we had were also had GPS on it. So he could see our location, which was super helpful. And long story short, he ended up just kind of like guiding us out. And we were, we were at first, we were going the complete opposite direction, like the direction we thought that was the right direction. It was the complete opposite direction. So we, it took us like twice as long to get back to the truck. And mind you, it's about to get dark. Like the sun had been setting this whole time. And so like (laughs) we were lost in the middle of the woods and it was getting dark and it was cold. And like, there was a point in time when the volunteer and I looked at each other and we're like, do we just like give up looking to get out now and just like use the rest of our daylight to set up shop for the night? Because yeah. like, what are, what are we going to do? <laughs> we can't get out. <laughs> and, um, and so also, you know, those, uh, the stacked rocks that I think they're called Karns or Karens. Karens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we were seeing a bunch of those. So we felt pretty comfortable. Like we knew where we were at was like someplace that was, um, it was visited enough that there were those. And right. for people that are listening that don't know, these Karens are stocks of rocks that hikers and, um, anyone else that's walked along these trails put as markers to mark the path. So we knew we were on some sort of path. We didn't know like just which direction we were going. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, so at a certain point we just didn't know if we should just like (laughs) call it quits and just spend the night in the forest and they'll come back for us the next day Yeah, or what. But, um, thankfully the GPS walkie talkie, our, my boss was able to guide us back and we stepped out of the woods back onto the road, probably 10 minutes before it was actually pitch black. Like the sun had already gone down over the horizon. Like Mm -hmm. it was, it was turning like the dark blue color in the sky and like the orange was fading. So we, yeah, we probably had about like 10 minutes left of daylight. Yeah. We went out, we went out to do some work in the field of fisheries, got real lost, (laughs) but thankfully made it out in time. Um, and thank God for GPS walkie talkies. Cause yeah. that I definitely could have had the story of how I got lost in the woods and had to spend a night in, yeah. in the woods. Yeah. So. In a like snowy woods too, which is yeah. like, ah, oh, so cold. Yeah. I actually like had 
a similar when before I did fisheries, I had like the summer job working at this nature conservancy near my house. You probably mm-hmm. know Bull Run Mountain Conservancy. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were doing this project with the Smithsonian where we were looking at um oh what kind of trees were they? Are they pine trees? No, it was like um kind of, the dogwoods? No, they're like endangered. Anyway, I'll remember it maybe eventually. <laughs> but basically Words we were just are hard. <laughs> going around to these sites where they had planted these seedlings. Oh, American chestnut. American chestnut oh, trees. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we're planting these seedlings and we'd go around to like see if there was uh you know predation disturbance, like herbivory going on with deer coming through and like eating the saplings and that kind of thing. But the, all the sites were like way off the trail. So you had to like mm-hmm. know the mountain and I did not. And I got turned around so many times because yeah. you can't see anything. And it's you like, can't. it's crazy. Yeah. It's no joke. Like that's why when I hear stories about people getting lost in the mountains or in the woods, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not too judgmental because I've been there. <laughs> right. It's like, I know, I feel like I know the mountain now (laughs) that I've stumbled around it for, you know, a couple summers, but yeah, that was, it was not fun. Yeah, dude. That was, that's just one of my Utah stories. Yeah. (laughs) That, yeah, that was not cool thing. And that, and that lasted like, I don't know, that was probably like what, six hours of my time. It wasn't even like a, it wasn't a full day. So like being, being lost, like getting, getting out to the site doing what we needed to do and then getting back to the truck was probably like six hours yeah which maybe that was the same day I have like a really bad memory first of all (laughs) but maybe that was the same day where I think I've told you before how I went into Walmart in town at like nine o'clock at night and I had really had like a really bad day and I just wanted a bottle of wine and in Utah they don't sell wine and beer in the same store and they only sell beer under 5% in Walmart right in the stores out there and um that might have been the same day when I went into Walmart (laughs) and couldn't find wine and almost had a breakdown in the middle of Walmart (laughs) might have been the same day I'd believe it if it was yeah but yeah so So not good I mean like that doing that work was super cool and I really enjoyed my time out there um it was pretty much in my mind, like the closest I'll probably ever get to like the wild west. Yeah. You know? So I think that's cool. Yeah. I think everybody has like their own kind of who works in field biology has one of these stories, every single person, because it's just unpredictable. Yeah. But the the first week I was out there though, Mm -hmm. God, (laughs) I almost ate it down the side of this mountain (laughs) I was like like, holy shit it's my first week and I'm almost like borderline killing myself so this is gonna be a great three months I can already tell (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's good good fucking times um yeah I took some video from that uh snow storm yeah I can can send those to you or share them and yeah, that'd yeah. be cool actually to share those on the podcast. I don't have any pictures from my experience because I was too busy bailing the boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just had we were just sitting ducks at that point. Like, what were we gonna do? Yeah, like? exactly. And there wasn't any service out there, mind you, which is why we had the GPS walkie-talkies. Right, right. So yeah, even, yeah, that was our only and thank God, like that's the safety measures that like you were saying how the the one 
organization you were working with when you had to bail, mm-hmm. like they didn't take the right safety precautions. Yeah. And so that's where it's like taking the right safety precautions, such as using GPS walkie talkies and giving them right. to your team and like having a plan. Yeah. It really, really helps. <laughs> it can be the difference between having like a missing person's rescue kind of operation versus a, we wandered around the woods for six hours and then you helped us get out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Cause like, even yeah. if you had been fine and had like set up your tent and everything, um, and you didn't have your walkie talkies to communicate, like they wouldn't know that you were okay. You know, they didn't know that you were just hunkering down. Right. Yeah. Um, and like the, re- I, I look back on this, like now that I'm talking about, and I think the reason why I didn't panic too, too much was because you know how they say, whenever you're lost, like find a source of water, like a stream or a lake or something like that. Mm-hmm. We were working on the streams that was like our location. So we knew we'd just go back to the stream and like follow it right down to like nearest mouth and that would probably help us. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. we're all working on the same project. Like we already set up stuff for the next day or the next time we were out or whatever. And, um, and so it's like, we also knew someone was going to come back there too. Right. So, yeah, like, that's whatever true. happened, like there, something, some we were gonna get found somehow, somewhere right. or another, it was gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah. and I, yeah. I think that's why I didn't panic either, is because like we had radios and we were only like a couple miles offshore, and like the coast guard was right there, and it was mm-hmm. summer. So like if we w- were actually in the water for hours, we probably wouldn't die of like hypothermia or something like it definitely would have sucked but you would have gotten out of it (laughs) right so it's still scary though (laughs) so oh for sure absolutely scary so yeah if any of you guys who are listening have your own survival stories like this little things that have happened to you or big things um you can contact us on our website email us send us a dm on the twitter or Instagram, and we'll put all those handles um, at the end of the podcast. Um, For sure. Yeah. And send them in because we want to know what weird shit has happened to you. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please do. Because I can't be the only one that accidentally got lost in the woods on a work, <laughs> on a work day. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. But that that's a very real thing. Like when the weather changes mm-hmm. and you lose your bearings. But yeah, so... Utah, I love it out there, but it's dangerous. <laughs> so dangerous. And so is the Gulf of Mexico. So, you yeah. know. <laughs> you know what they say, kids. Mother nature will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So what are we, uh, what other stories are we talking about today? Okay. So I kind of have a two-parter um, that we're going to split between the next two episodes um they're loosely connected and about kind of the same things and i think in order to tell one i have to tell the other first cool, cool. um so we're gonna be talking about volcanoes for a little while yeah which is something i didn't know i was interested in until i heard um not this story but the next story we're gonna be doing mm-hmm. um i was listening to uh, this podcast called Survival, it's on the ParCast Network. And if y'all aren't familiar with the ParCast Network, it's uh, a podcast network. They do a lot of true crime and stuff like that, but they're just all about the facts and they deliver the story like 
it's all about the fact. There's none of this back and forth kind of chit chatting that we do. Straight facts. Straight facts, pretty much. Um, but this story was like so compelling that I was like, oh my god, I need to talk about this. <laughs> like this is crazy. Yeah. So I ended up buying this book, um, which most of the um, the citations or sources to, for today's episode come from. Um, it's called No Apparent Danger by Victoria Bruce. And it's about both of these stories um, that we're going to be talking about in the next two episodes. And it will blow your mind and you will learn things that you didn't even know were a thing. Because I, I literally had never heard of either of these stories um, until I listened to that podcast. So I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. Thanks, their Bible. I want you guys to come back for another season. That would be great. Okay, thanks. <laughs> hey, thanks, bye. Hey, thanks, bye. Um, so today um, we are going to be talking about the Armero tragedy um, and the death of Omira Sanchez. So there's this picture associated with this story that I've seen before. And describe the picture on the right. Uh, I've never seen it. You said you've seen this one before? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've never seen this. So the photo on the right, is this a, a woman? Or mm, yeah, a, a girl. She, okay, I was going to say she has really pretty eyes, but also like boys have really pretty eyes too. Yeah. Um, and obviously I can't tell if it's a girl or a boy because she's neck deep in, is that a sinkhole or mud? quicksand yes yeah kind of we'll we'll get into it yeah so yeah she's a neck deep in i'm gonna say quicksand since you're not giving me confirmation i'm not (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna go with quicksand for now (laughs) survey says um yeah so it's uh this she looks to be probably like in her teens is that correct Mm mm-hmm and she's in uh, debatably quicksand up to her neck and her hands are sticking out and her one hand is wrapped around it looks like this wooden uh like this wooden pole that mm-hmm. they're trying to use to like get her like leverage to pull her out mm-hmm. so what what's going on is that that's obviously not quicksand because you're not confirming that but... <laughs> I'll, we'll get into <laughs> that so to me the part of this picture that are is the most haunting is that her eyes are pitch black yeah that's what i was like it looks like yeah she looks possessed yes it's very creepy um and i didn't realize they were pitch black until i took a closer look at it because i almost thought i guess it's like the glare on my screen maybe but it kind of also looked like she had like ice blue eyes oh weird no it's definitely the glare on my screen yeah (laughs) i'm sure you see me on zoom right now fucking on my screen yeah all the angles yeah no they're definitely pitch black yeah which she definitely looks possessed terrifying yeah sorry so did she bleed internally or did something happen like what's going on we're gonna we're gonna get to it but i just Um, wanted to show this picture first because it's just so jarring to me it's gonna haunt me in my nightmares tonight yeah yeah Um, and also like her hands look like they're like getting stark white like she still has color like near her wrist but her fingers are like stark white yeah yeah is that part of it too Mm mm-hmm is she still alive in this in this picture yes but she ended up dying because you said (laughs) I did I kind of spoiled it didn't I (laughs) um 
too smart for you, Jillian. I know. Um, so I have never actually seen this photo in association with this story because I didn't know the story was a thing. I definitely like, I'm too into this. I'm too into this. Oh, no, I know. It's really weird, right? Like, okay. So I'm like clearly she's dying because her eyes are black. Her <laughs> eyes are black. Or she's losing skin color. Like she's gonna die. Yeah. Um, so I've never seen this photo in association with the actual story of Armero. Um, but I have seen it on those like 10 best stories of the paranormal or 10 scariest <sighs> photo, like type of articles that circle around the internet. Um, so she they, is possessed. Well, they always claim that she's possessed by a demon or something dumb like that. I Wait, didn't. Can I Google this while you talk? No, <laughs> I'm like nervous. I'm nervous. No, because so... you're gonna ruin. I'm gonna tell you what happened. I'm gonna tell you. I promise. <laughs> oh God. Okay. There's nothing paranormal going on in this picture, but I've I'm always... already like picking my face. <laughs> yeah. I've always seen it on those lists and I didn't believe the stories that they told, but I thought maybe the photo or the picture was like Photoshopped or altered in some way. Um, yes. Spoiler alert. It's absolutely not Photoshopped. Um, the actual story behind this photo is way, way scarier than any demon possession. Okay, also disclaimer for you, and because I don't know if you remember this or not about me. I'm possessed. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, I like actually get really easily scared when it comes to um, possessed, the spooky, possessed, the spookies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like possessed things. Because I can watch scary movies and I can do like the zombies or like mm-hmm. the um, like the gory. The second it gets paranormal, I'm out. I can't do it. <laughs> like (laughs) I I I believe too much in that kind of stuff where Mm -hmm. I'm like I don't fuck with it I it actually when I was doing travel soccer when I was like 14 or 15 we were like in between two a days and we were like crashing at one of the girls houses and the team thought it'd be fun to do a Ouija board and I was like nope I'm out (laughs) I saw the front saw the front porch and I couldn't drive so I because I was like 14 or 15 I called my mom was like mom you need to come pick me up I was like, I can't do this. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah I don't fucks with Ouija boards. Yeah, I don't. I don't fuck with any of that shit. I but don't. I, I can't. one of I my, I think I've, I think I've seen a couple ghosts in my time too, which is why mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't, I don't do it. I had a sleep demon when I was much younger. So like the fun fact it, about me, <laughs> like the sleep paralysis, like the black yeah. cloud that gets on you, that happened to me in college. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Standing at the foot of my bed, yes. all black, red eyes. When yes. I was like young, really young, like four yes. or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Oh my god, I'm so glad that you had the same thing because like that. So when I lived, and I still have nightmares about this fucking house too. So when I <laughs> when I lived off campus at ODU, the house that we nicknamed the brothel that had like the eight girls that play, I played soccer with in it. Mm-hmm. I lived in the attic with another one of my friends and like there there was obviously like a door in the attic to the storage up there yeah and like the girl that I shared the room with she had a boyfriend at the time so she was like hardly ever home mm-hmm. and um like I saw stuff like that all of the time all the time and like if I I it freaked me out so much to the point where like if she came home in the middle of the night I would like scream and I get like I get mad <laughs> that I was so scared and like and she had to have a talk with me like Haley like I'm sorry but like we share a room like you can't get mad I'm like no you're 
like you're so right but also like dude like i've seen some pretty scary shit up here like i'm i'm just like i was just freaking out in yeah. general but yeah and and then after we moved from that house i never had it again knock on wood yeah but i swear that house is haunted yeah well this story does not have any de- demonic possessions even though that photo straight up looks like that is what's going on thank you that's what i um, needed to hear yeah but I find the rest of it so much more disturbing. Um, so let's kind of set the scene here. Um, it's 1985. We are in rural Colombia. Um, most of the towns in this region are small and rely on farming as their main source of income, mostly coffee that gets exported around the world. Um, Armero was one of these towns and it just happened to sit at the base of the Nevado de Ruiz, um, which is the tallest active volcano in Colombia. It's over 17,000 feet tall and it's ice capped. Um, And before 1985, it slept peacefully for as long as anybody could remember. And so- go dormant for like hundreds of years on end. Yes, they can, yeah. That's the risk of living near a volcano, though, is that there's There's not an Iceland that's erupting right now. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. I don't know how to pronounce that one, but. I don't either. (laughs) I'm not even going to try. Even when I heard it on the news, I was like getting ready in the morning and I heard that name on the news. I was like, what the heck did he just say? I was like, good for him. That's hard. I'm like, I can handle, you know, some Spanish pronunciation because I took like five years of Spanish, but I <laughs> don't know about Icelandic. <laughs> God, no, definitely not. Yeah. So tell me more about this volcano. It's okay. It's steaming yeah. in this photo. Yeah. So it's, it is steaming in that first photo. And it, I mean, it's a pretty solid tall mountain if it's got that much snow on top of it. Um, right. So in 1984, um, small eruptions on the mountain were reported, um, small enough not to like be a danger to anybody so people in the region were seeking to protect their business interests specifically their farms um and so a small volcano monitoring crew was put together made mostly of geologists nobody really had any volcano volcano experience like nobody was actually a volcanologist um one of the main members of this group was marta calvache and she was like a geologist by trade and they just sent her off to this volcano and we're like figure out what's going on have fun and so yeah pretty much so her and her team were very ill-equipped to work on the volcano they managed to acquire a few seismometers so the things with the pencil and it goes back and forth and tells you how big the tremors are that's Mm -hmm. all i know about volcano science so (laughs) I literally just Googled, uh, cause before you said volcano, how do you pronounce it? Volcanologist? Volcanologist. Yeah. Yeah. Before you said that, I was like, what is the term for a volcano biologist? <laughs> and then I was, and then I, I, then you said, it, I was like, oh, there it is. But I was yeah. already typed. Yeah. There we are. So now I'm just kind of figuring that out. Volcano, yeah. volcanologists earn an average of $90,890 per year. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad at all for scientists. So, yeah, the lowest ten percent is uh, a lot more than what I'm getting paid right now. So right, <laughs> I live in a very expensive area. So yeah, 
So they acquired a few seismometers and asked American and European volcanologists to assist them in reading the graphs that those seismometers produced. Um, but at the time, Colombia had just experienced a coup attempt on the capital oh. city. <laughs> and so oh, the U.S. government... Still traumatized. Yeah. Well, and the U.S. government wasn't about to send over some scientists to teach a few Colombian geologists how to you know, read the tremors that the Nevada yeah. debris were producing. So they didn't get the experience um, that they really, really desperately needed. But they were smart enough to figure out that something was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so at 3 p.m. on November 13th, uh, 1985, black ash started erupting from the Nevado de Ruiz, and the geologists were uh, promptly warned the civil defense director that a more violent eruption was imminent, and they based this off of the graphs on their uh, seismometer. (laughs) Yeah, but I kind of feel like if anybody looked at those, they'd be like, oh yeah, that shit's about to explode. Like, we need to (laughs) do something about that. Like it was um, off the charts already. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the town was advised to evacuate immediately. Um, however, around 5 p.m., the ash stopped falling. So the local officials decided that the eruption wasn't serious and told the locals to remain calm and go inside. Have you ever been in an area where ash is falling around you? Uh, yes, uh, but... I burn. Yeah, um, from forest fires, actually. Uh, yeah. When I was young, I lived in Colorado, and there were pretty bad, there was a pretty bad drought going on when we lived there. So when we it's first got weird. there, it is. Because, so where I live is on a nature preserve, mm-hmm. and they'll do prescribed burns. And a couple months ago, they did a prescribed burn, like, not even a half a mile down the street. Yeah. And so it looked like the world was ending around our house. <laughs> Everything, like it had that bright red sky and it was the haze and like, yeah. ash, ash was falling like snow on our porch. It was wild. Yeah. So, but they thought it wasn't a big enough deal. Um, so they all stayed. Um, the mayor himself apparently declared that he didn't think there was much danger. Um, and the, even the local priest got in on it. Um, and told the townspeople to put their faith in God, which, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not against religion or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, there's some situations where it's like, you have to get yourself out of this bad situation. And you got the information coming down from people who study this for a living. You might want to listen. Just, mm-hmm. just maybe. I, I mean, it's I mean, like a, all the, the pastors and sermons that I've listened to when it comes to this kind of stuff. You can't pray for an A and work for a C. Exactly. You gotta, yeah. you gotta work for an A and pray for an A. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta pray to get out and work to get out. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really blame the locals for staying because the people who were in positions of power who had the information did not properly give right, it to is. people or they spread misinformation. So I, I, to me, this whole thing is on those people for not you know, taking heed of the warnings. Um, Then a storm came in um, and it drowned out the sound of the actual volcanic eruption. um, And it also created electrical problems that basically fucked up communication between Armero and all the other 
towns in the area. So they didn't know that the volcano was erupting and they had no communication either. Um, so that's fun. So then the absolute worst happened. So at 9.09 p.m., the volcano erupted 35 metric tons of ash, rock, magma, more than 20 miles into the atmosphere. And yeah, although that sounds pretty intense, keep in mind that was only 3% of what Mount St. Helens produced during that eruption in the 1980s. So it's a small eruption (laughs) compared to others. So the Nevado de Ruiz held a very terrifying wild card because it was surrounded by summit glaciers and snow. Um, the pyroclastic flows of ash, which is basically just like a big mudslide of ash, essentially, I guess, um, you can look the videos of it up online. It's terrifying to watch. Um, but basically these flows of ash were so hot that it melted the ice and snow on top of the mountain. And then the water, the soil, and the ash turned into four terrifying lahars. And lahars are like mudslides caused by volcanic eruptions. Um, And because Armero was right in a low valley at the base of the volcano, Armero was right in its path. And if you Go look at the map. You can kind of see where Armero is situated. Um, yeah. And how bad they're about to get hit by these flows. It's not looking good, that's for sure. Yeah. So. That's about like 30 kilometers, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So they traveled quite a ways. Yeah. I mean, but when you have gravity working for you and you have that much material, um, weighing down like so it goes really quickly so the night in the town had been quiet after the storm and then just before 11 30 p.m a flood of water swept through the town um and the residents could hear a roar coming from the mountain but they just thought it was another flood but it wasn't (laughs) um so at 11 30 the first lahar hit Um, So this isn't only water, it's dirt, it's mud, it's hot ash. It was a hundred feet deep. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It moved at 27 miles per hour, which is not super fast if we're thinking about driving a car, but it's it's fast for that shit. I mean, it'll catch you. Yeah. You can't outrun that. (laughs) No, you can't. Um, So it crashed through the town, literally ripping concrete buildings apart and dragging anything smaller along with it. Um, Two more lahars followed shortly after, and each lahar lasted 10 to 30 minutes. This wasn't like a one and done. Well, I guess it all has to flow through and flow doesn't stop until the volcano is done, right? Yeah. And then they're coming in waves. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it, it, that's how, like, you don't you don't get a chance if you're still alive to catch your breath, essentially. Um, so, which with each wave of the pulsing mudslide, the mud picked up more and more debris and shrapnel, basically creating a moving wall of cars and pieces of building 
um, and the people, you know, that were in those buildings. So it just, I mean, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Yeah. 28,700 people were killed during these lahars. That's that, really like the city, the whole population of that town. It's three quarters of the town. Yeah. God bless. It's like, like five times the population of my town. <laughs> yeah. Like there's so many people. Um, but despite all odds, some people survived this initial onslaught. I don't know how. Did they just get to higher ground? That's, that's one way. Um, so we're going to go into kind of one of the survivors accounts. Um, okay. so a man named Juan Restrepo, uh, was a young visiting geology student on a field trip. Um, so he wasn't even from the town, uh, and he managed to survive these horrors. Um, I'll go ahead and describe some of the things he experienced, but, um, there is going to be some gross talk of like death and rigor mortis and kind of the gross things that bodies do when we die. Um, so just fair warning for that. Um, if that's not something you want to listen to, you could probably skip ahead. I don't know, 15 minutes. Um, it's hard to tell them how far to skip ahead. I know. <laughs> this will go on tangents. <laughs> yeah. If you're on things, skip ahead till you hear something fine again. Right. So he was in a building when the Lahar came and the building literally crumbled around him but he managed to hold on to a stationary slab of concrete that was on the surface during that initial onslaught. Um, so after the mud began to slow, he tried to rescue a little girl as the cries of help came from the darkness around him. He had first thought the girl was uh, decapitated, but mm. it turns out her head was just stuck in the mud and she couldn't get <laughs> it out. the photo that we're looking at. No. No, this is uh, just a girl that she... I'll get to Amira Sanchez. Oh, I, was like, you were. That's that, I was like, that's what that photo looks like. So. Yeah. Um, as much as he tried, he could not free this girl's head from the mud, and she died of asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was his night. In that's the morning... Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, that's traumatizing, like, watching someone, like, die. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just a young student. He's not, yeah. like, a trained medical professional or anything like that he's right. just a, a kid a yeah so in the morning the town was a, basically obliterated replaced by a sea of mud yeah that's it doesn't even look like a town yeah like it's just a whole flat plain of just mud it's it's terrifying yeah and this is a black and white photo so it kind of looks like a marsh yeah uh, yeah. But I'm sure it's if it was colored, it was not looking like a marsh. Right. So within the mud were bodies, some living, some dead, and some completely buried, and also obviously dead. Um, Mud-encrusted survivors were crying for help, a lot of them buried up to their necks, like that picture of Omira Sanchez in, mm-hmm. that we talked about. Arms and legs were sticking out of the mud, with stiff with rigor mortis, and decayed swelling. Restrepo managed to climb on top of a water tower in hopes of having a better chance of being rescued. He described moving through the mud as walking chest high through cement that was slowly hardening in the morning sun. Um, Mm. Yeah. 
he managed to save a few people as he climbed up to the water tower, including a small five-year-old girl and a man whose legs had gotten amputated by some debris in the lahar. Um, They, yeah, they packed his stump legs with mud to keep him from bleeding out. Um, Throughout the day, they waited for rescue. However, no one was able to reach them. Uh, The day was hot and there was limited food from uh, refrigerators that had gotten swept up and they could reach some of the refrigerators and that's how they were able to get some food, which, I mean, that stuff's probably rotten all day in the sun. Uh, So definitely out. Yeah. So if you look at slide four and fair warning, there are dead bodies in this picture. You can kind of see kind of the up close and personal bits Uh of all of that and the color photo of the town. Um, It's really really gnarly i just um, can't imagine them like the town ever recovering from this event yeah Has it, it probably hasn't recovered well and my thought too is like <clears throat> i just i just don't see this ever leaving like the mud yeah and it just seems like it just kind of flowed and then it just sits mm-hmm. so i, I guess it would rebuild if it if it yeah. was like that but i guess over time it does it does flow with like wind and whatever yeah i don't know shit i actually don't know either to be honest um i don't know how they got rid of all the mud or if it's just still there with all the debris and bodies in it underneath the soil you know what i mean yeah i'm about to google it actually yeah please do um yeah so and this whole thing about getting stuck in mud like really bothers me because i'm claustrophobic oh Um, true i'm also like tight spaces I don't like so I don't like caves but also like getting sucked into something so which we have to do we have to go into really gnarly deep mud and you know field biology especially working places like I do on the Gulf Coast some of these marshes and areas where we have to pull sand nets are super duper muddy I've gotten stuck up to my hips before do you Um, remember the the Mattapanai Yes, I'm fucking mad Whenever, tonight. <laughs> I know. When I was looking back through photos the other day and I saw a photo of us when we were pulling nets through the Mattapanai and I was just like, God, mm-hmm. that was so annoying to mm-hmm. have to pull a net through that. You, we, we literally sunk up to our knees. Yeah. Sometimes our hips in mud. Yeah. And the way that sane nets work is you have to pull them at a decent rate of speed because otherwise the fish just like swim out and around you because they're spooked. So if you pull it slow enough, you don't get anything, but you have to pull it quick enough that you get things and you're in mud and you can't even like run. (laughs) It's the worst. I'm not going to lie. Every time I was in one of those situations, either at VIMS or, you know, working here at Texas, I have a small baby panic attack because I think about stuff like this. So uh, side note, the uh, Google lady says that Amero was never rebuilt after the tragedy. Instead, the survivors were relocated to the towns of, I'm going to butcher this, I'm sure, um, but they were relocated to the towns of Guyabai, or I guess it's an L, Guyabal, mm-hmm. and Lareda, or Lareda, however you I pronounce it. I think I might have written that down somewhere, and I'm not remembering my own research. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. so I guess Amero is rendered a ghost town. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I just don't. I believe right. it because, like I said, that just that didn't look like that was going to move. No. Like, settle out. I mean, like, eventually I feel like it would dry out, but it's just yeah, such a mess. Dry out, though. Yeah, so let's get back to uh, Restrepo, Juan Restrepo, yes. our survivor. Um, so by the time that night fell again, because uh, no one had come to rescue them, so we're in night two of this nightmare, um, the flies and mosquitoes became unbearable, and mm. um, wounds were starting to become infected. A lot of people had wounds from like the debris and shrapnel cutting them, you know, while they were moving through the mud. So even the survivors had really gnarly wounds, like the guy who got his legs amputated, amputated. Yeah, God. Um, Yeah. So Restrepo decided to take action and he and the others began building a bridge out of tables, doors, whatever flat debris they could find to reach a higher ground, which was a hill that was two blocks away. This bridge could only be crossed one person at a time. And Restrepo said, if you were walking on the bridge and you fell into the mud, you would be stuck there and die. Oh, that's God. that's how thick and uh, sinky, I don't know. What's the word? For, there's a better word for that. Thick. Um, but yeah, just thick. She she was she was thick. Um, and she would murder you basically. <laughs> um, but they managed to reach the hill. They raided some of the remaining houses for food and water, and then watched as helicopters came in rescuing others. So the helicopters were rescuing other people in other areas, and they had to wait out on this hill for uh re- for a helicopter to come and get them so it took three days following the eruption for restrepo and the others to reach safety um, they managed to walk to a town where rescue efforts were handing out food and water to the literal thousands of victims of the eruption oh god yeah so that was his experience. And that's something you could read about in uh, No Apparent Danger. Um, and it really messed me up because I read it really late at night. So that was fun. <laughs> um, Nightmares, I'm sure. Oh, my God. The PTSD you would have after that would be mm-hmm. incredible. Um, a lot of therapy. A lot, Yeah, a lot of therapy. Well, and he, w- he didn't even live in that town. He was just there on a school trip. So he, he didn't even have to be there. It's just, that's how it all worked out. Um, but, but others were not as lucky. So that brings us back to that picture of the young girl with her hands that were white as death mm-hmm. and her eyes black as night. Um, her name was Omira Sanchez. And she was trapped in the mud and water for three days as oh relief. God. Yeah. <laughs> Three days. Three days. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she saw people walk past her, or not walk because they're not walking, but <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure she's seen people go by her. Yeah. And she's trying to help, and they can't. And oh my god, that's so devastating. Yeah. So relief workers did attempt to free her because she was in a place, I guess, where uh, aid workers could get to her. Her legs, the reason why she was trapped for so long, though, was her legs were trapped under the roof of her house. 
So Wait, when the house, her legs were trapped under the roof of our house. <gasps> so when the house like crumbled around her, the roof landed on her legs. Oh wow. Um. Oh no. So yeah. Um. So they also found her dead aunt. Her dead aunt's arms were still clutched very tightly around her legs. <gasps> Um, oh, and she got crushed, like, she fully got crushed in the yes, house. Yes, her, yeah, her aunt was dead. Ew, so wait, in this photo where she's, like, mm, okay, so in this photo where she is up to her neck in this mud, mm-hmm. you're saying that underneath all that, she feels her dead aunt's hands <clears throat> around her legs. Yeah. <gasps> oh, shit. Yeah, I told you it was scarier than a demon possession. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, that's a very, 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 very awful and weird feeling. Uh Uh-huh. Ew. That's a very large mix of emotions, too, because I wonder if at any point she felt kind of comforted by the fact that, like, she had a family member, like, holding onto her, but also, like, kind of creepy that they're dead, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and when rigor mortis sets in, your hands would, like, Stay. Stay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Wait, keep going. Tell me more. <laughs> Each time a rescuer attempted to pull her out, water began flowing into the hole around her, rising to the point where rescuers had to hold on to her to prevent her from drowning. Oh, I'm sure. So that's why she's got that pole in the picture and then in yeah. the picture next to it they're like literally holding on to her arms trying to yeah keep her head above the water um the also, whole how fucked up is it though that like they took this like very uh it's a i think it's a really pretty picture mm-hmm. the one on the right but but it's also very scary it's like yeah. one of those like odd photos that has like the the both elements of being beautiful and fucked up at the same time well and you got to think mm-hmm. about the ethics behind taking pictures like that that's what i'm saying i was like how fucked up is it that like she's here dying and you guys are like oh let me take your photo right like the one on the left i can see because the one on the left is more of like a newspaper documenting like the Mm -hmm. rescue yeah but the one on the right is more of a a photographer taking like profile shots Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah here's your uh facebook photo profile picture cool (laughs) Let's not do that, please. Yeah. Okay, they continue. They can't really pull her out because she continues to sink, so they have to keep her up. What mm-hmm. else is next? So the whole 60-hour ordeal was, like we just talked about, captured on camera by journalists, including Frank Forner or Fournier. Fournier. Mm-hmm. We're going to go with that. looks French. Um, which is why we have these pictures today. It was said that Sanchez remained calm for the most part, agreed to be interviewed, um, but would occasionally break down and pray and cry, as you would, I think, if you were in that situation. Can Mm -hmm. you imagine being, like, in the most, like, life or death situation you've ever been in in your life, and somebody's like, can I interview you about what you're going through? I'd be like, fuck off. No. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. It's like, just, how about you get me help? I don't want to be interviewed right now. <laughs> the thing was, the rescuers were all around. They couldn't get her out. 
So she was yeah. just stuck there. Yeah, so, I get that. But also, like, don't interview me right now. Right, I know. <laughs> yeah, I've been like, get <laughs> fucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so on the third day, um, she began hallucinating. Her eyes oh, darkened because of, I think, blood clotting or not blood clotting. Um, I was trying to Google that and I couldn't find a straight answer because when I yeah. typed in cause of black eyes um obviously it popped up with like getting punched in the face (laughs) not this so sorry (laughs) so then i tried to like google like black pupils like like over dilated pupils or like all of your eyes black and i haven't found anything so i believe in the article i read it said something about like the blood vessels like swelling or something about there being like a lot of blood in her eyes that would make sense i mean that looks pretty bloody even though it's not red yeah um so her eyes darkened her face swelled and her hands whitened and that whiteness is from how pruney her hands were from being in the water for that long (gasps) oh yeah i wouldn't have even thought about that but that's true because when you're in a pool and you get those like little wrinkly fingers like yeah you that is a little bit whiter than the rest of your hand well and three days in water at that point it's probably her skin is literally starting to come off fall off yeah it's called degloving um happens to dead bodies in water a lot which degloving is really gross term i i'm a little mixed on the emotions that you know that term I listen to a lot of crime podcasts. (laughs) I feel like that's a term you probably should not know. I I do. So here we are. Um, That's what happens when your body is in the water for that long. Um, Your skin just starts falling off. Um, So rescuers made one final attempt trying to pump the water out, but they found her legs were bent as if she was kneeling and it would be impossible to free her without amputating her legs. Ugh. Well, also, like, how the hell did they get the pumps over there if everything is so soggy? I think she was close enough to, quote-unquote, dry land that the rescuers were able to get to her. A lot of okay. other people went through this and did not have any rescuers. They just gotcha. They just died. Um, people oh, my gosh. Please tell me that, like, they at least tried to get her out. And, like, she was out and then she died instead of them just being, like, straight to her face. Sorry, we're going to leave you. I can't see your face right now because I'm on the screen looking at the photos. So. So they talked about what would be involved to in order to amputate her legs. Okay. But because the doctors did not have the surgical equipment needed to save her from the effects of the amputation, they would agree that it would be more humane to let her die. <sighs> so they like just told her to her face. Mm-hmm. No. Because oh, they were in rural Columbia and they were dealing with a whole lot of other people with other injuries and they just didn't have what they needed. Yeah. So on the third night, November 16th, she died from exposure, likely from hypothermia or gangrene from her wounds. Oh, God. That's so sad. 
Uh, Frank Fournier took that picture literally hours before she died. She knew that there was no hope for her in that picture. Um, I mean, you can see it in her eyes that she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, you're going to take my picture now? Yeah. Yeah. Her her body was already starting to show the effects at that point, the eyes and the hands and everything. So and those eyes continued to haunt the world for years after, um, because after this incident, that was the picture that everyone saw. That was like the famous picture was Amira Sanchez. Oh, wow. And this only happened in the 80s, and I've never heard of it. Me neither. Until recently. Yeah, so, dude, that's up. Yeah, that's so that, that picture, like, won awards and stuff. Like, journalism. Well, like I said, it looks like a, it looks like a profile photo. Yeah. Like, like, it looks posed. Yeah. Yeah. And Which I think is really fucked up for that, especially now that I know that that was after they told her that they weren't going to help her and then hours before she died yeah <laughs> really fucked up oh yeah yeah when i like read the story i was like what the fuck like what how do i not know about this like this is insane yeah why do was- we live near volcanoes <laughs> like why <laughs> yeah you'd think after like pompeii like, right that they would have like made some sort of like volcano zone where it's uninhabitable for reasons like this. Yeah. So the Armero tragedy was an absolutely massive loss of life. Over 28,000 people lost their lives within the initial Lahar hitting and many thousands more died in the days to come from exposure, from thirst, succumbing to injuries, unable to be rescued, trapped in the mud. Um, but the real tragedy of this experience was the complete lack of action that the local government took in the hours prior to this disaster, in spite of the ex- inexperienced geologist's warnings. Like, yes, they were inexperienced, but they knew more about freaking volcanoes than you did, you know? Well, and also, <laughs> didn't the government say just, like, pray? Like, good luck. Yeah. Stay in your homes and pray. Pray that it doesn't happen. Like, wouldn't it be better? I mean, yeah, maybe you'd lose a day's wages or a day of work, and that sucks, but... Wouldn't it have been better to leave and survive? Oh, 100%. Surviving is always the goal, right? Right. And also, so in this map that you sent me, the hard stone map of the, the fuck, what's it, the volcano, mm-hmm. um, it looks like they, in Amero, it looks like they just could have gone south. Right. And it, they didn't have to go far. Yeah, I know. To get out of it. I know. But for That's- some reason, they didn't. That's so messed up. Yeah. So I actually have the bit at the bottom that says our mural was never rebuilt after the tragedy and remains this to this day a ghost town. So I did know, but I forgot. Um, Ayo. But yeah, no one lives there. Yeah. Um, I don't see how they could live there. Especially like who would, okay. So also who would want to live there after this happened? Yeah. That place is full of ghosts. Oh, a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people and stuff are, like, still buried. Yeah. They never got a lot of... Most people that died in that mudslide, unless they were on the surface, I bet you they did not recover the bodies. Oh, 100%. Like, this little girl? Like, she's definitely the lead on haunting that area. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just... It's... It's that, that picture. It's scary. 
Like, it's scary. The dyke does things to me that I I don't like. Um, But I just think that it's important to tell her story and tell what she went through during this. Yeah, I mean, and it's really unfortunate that they didn't have the medical capabilities to, mm-hmm. like, recover her from amputating her legs if they needed to go that route. I mean, there's no guarantee that she would have survived that anyway at that point. I know, because she was already so, yeah, I mean, that's, like, a nutritional thing, too. Like, that was, like, what, day three, you said? Mm-hmm. And, like, so she's already really weak, so who knows, yeah. That's, Plus, yeah. I mean, look at that water that she's in. It is dirty and nasty. You can't tell me she wouldn't have infection problems. Kind of looks like the James River, doesn't it? <laughs> it does look like the James River. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Garbage River. Garbage River. Um, A little side dig <laughs> to yeah. the Richmond area. Don't get me wrong. I love Richmond. Richmond's fun. but uh, I do, too. But, like, remember when we would sample that last site that's near Jimmy Dean's house? Yeah. And we would just get all of the trash. Yeah. There's like tampons and everything. Tampons. I'm pretty sure I might have come across a condom there at one point. Yeah. That's what that water looks like. Yeah. No, I mean, like, and like closer to the bay, it's fine. But the closer you get to the city, it's gross. Yeah, it is. But so anyway, um, that is the story of the Armero tragedy. And if you remember me bringing up one of those geologists that made the call to evacuate the town, um, her name's Marta Calvanche. And she is kind of the star of part two. And her experiences in Armero helped her save lives in a different situation. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the geologists all survived because they were up on the mountain, like off of the, out of the valleys and stuff. So they mm-hmm. they literally just had to s- sit and watch the town be destroyed. God, that's yeah. hard. So, um, so yeah, we'll be we'll be back into volcanoes and back to Columbia next week for this next story, which will absolutely blow your mind. Like Shackleton level, absolutely blow your mind. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah. Like it is crazy, (laughs) Like, but I've never heard of it. I never heard of it till like last year. So, um, so yeah. Okay. So my sources for this were, uh, no apparent danger by Victoria Bruce, the book I keep talking about. Um, I also looked into Wikipedia to get kind of some base information on the Armero tragedy and Omira Sanchez and um, the article, Omira Sanchez was trapped in a mud flow when a photographer captured her last moments. And this was by Natasha Ishak um, and from allthatisinteresting.com. So this one was kind of a slog to get through, pun intended. Um, uh, ooh, yeah, <laughs> Jillian's making dark jokes. Um, but, um, so, <laughs> so to bring it up a little, uh, Let's talk about things that made us happy this week or are going to make us happy this week. True. Why don't you go first? Because I got to think about it. So me and Corey have been kind of cleaning the house and the yard up. um, because my mom's going to get here in a week and we just need to do some spring cleaning anyway um, after the freeze and all the stuff we dealt with earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's finally warm enough for us to put up our pool. I bought one of those like 
above ground pools um, that have like the frames on them. So I love this. I like, love everything about this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like 10 foot across. So it's not tiny. It's like a decent size. Like you could do a stroke across if you wanted yeah. to. Um, but I bought it like right when around when COVID started, because I'm like, well, if I can't go on my honeymoon, I'm going to sit my ass in a pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that really did help with like my men- mental well-being, especially during those months where I had to cancel Corey and my honeymoon, um, which was really devastating. Um, but being able to go sit back there after work with him with a cocktail, like, helped <laughs> so i we put it back up again and we're probably going to go in this afternoon um do you fill it with a hose yep fill it with a hose. Oh, it takes like what like three hours to fill hey uh, yeah like two hours it's it doesn't take too too long um and i just clean it like i it has like a filter and everything and i clean it like i do like any of the tanks at the aquarium um with like a gravel washer and like nets and stuff um nice so, and then you put like bleach in it to like chlorinate it. So, gotcha. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's super fun. Yeah. I was looking into getting one of those above ground pools at one point too. Yeah. They, I got mine for like 250, which was a steal for how big it is. That is because mm. I want to say the ones I was looking at was like, I don't know, 700 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think because I got mine on Amazon. <laughs> Maybe that's fine. <laughs> Um, but we love it. Yeah. Anyway, that's really cool. You guys have an above ground pool. Mm-hmm. We uh, had one sent to us from Old Bay seasoning. It's great. <laughs> For free. For real. That's going to be. Yeah. Did I ever tell you this? No. Oh my God. Yeah. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. So um, to everyone listening, and I'm pretty sure Jillian already knows this, I am a very big fan of Old Bay seasoning. I grew up with the stuff. I put it on everything and anything. And uh, I am really grateful to have a roommate that loves it just as much because we have one of those big, big cans. And so I also follow them on all social media. (laughs) (laughs) That's who I am. (laughs) And um, I saw that they had given, I want to say it was the National Zoo. I think it was the National Zoo, but they had given a local zoo Old Bay seasoning branded slip and slides and inflatable pools <laughs> for the animals for their enrichment. <laughs> and so, like, I saw it on social media and I commented on it and I just said, Where can I get one of those though? Silly. They DM'd me and said, Hey, if you give us your email and your address, we'll send you either a pool or a slip and slide. And I was like, Right away, I was on it. I was like, This is my email. This is my address. Can I have one pool, please? (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. So we have an inflatable pool that's a pretty, pretty decent. It's a, you know, how like back in the 90s, the inflatable pools had the pretty much like the one wall like mm-hmm. the one bubble of a wall. So this one has like three bubbles of okay. a wall. So it's yeah. pretty tall. 
but and you can fit two people in it pretty comfortably so it's pretty it's like wide enough right (laughs) so (laughs) we have yeah we have like a little inflatable bay seasoning branded pool that we have underneath the house (laughs) only you only you i love it and so hence this turns into how we named our house the crab shack so we nicknamed because we were going back and forth on nicknames for the house Mm -hmm. and um then old base seasoning messaged me and I talked to my roommate and I was like, yo, if we get free merch from old Bay, I say, we just say that our house is called the crab shack and we're sponsored by old Bay seasoning. So <laughs> that's fucking hysterical. <laughs> I, I love it. Like I never get anything. Like I've never won anything. I never get like anything for free. And uh, so that, that was great. I loved it. <laughs> it's awesome. awesome. Oh my God. Especially from such a large brand, too. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about bringing it out recently, too, because it's been really hot. I thought I still had a couple more weeks of kind of like springy, cooler temperature no. down here. Dude, it's already hot. Okay. Do we, you have a happy thing? Or is the Old Bay pool the happy thing? <laughs> Dude, the Old Bay thing happened a couple, <laughs> like, I think it happened in July. July of last year, mm-hmm. August, September. It was it was like last year. So yeah. that will always be my happy thing. I will never forget that. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, so happy thing that happened to me this week was we did live music at Higgs Beach on Friday, mm-hmm. and that was just like so simple, pure fun. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and. So it was a good time. Like we met there with some friends and just like BYOB and hung out and the sun was setting. It was just so great. And then after that, uh, we met up with some other friends that were at the Green Parrot and just hung out with those people. And then we walked over to this other bar that has like this really big front porch and it's like very like old Southern style kind of home. Mm-hmm. And it's a bar restaurant now and so like you can get a drink from inside and then go sit on the porch outside yeah yeah. and so like then we walked over and sat on the porch over there and drank some drinks too and it was just so nice and that was the first time that like like I like some of our friends that were with us have been truly out and about they've been fully vaccinated now and so it was also just really awesome seeing how excited they were to be I know. back out in some sort of normalcy. Or, so that yeah, good. that is good. I'm hoping more and more people will get vaccinated and someday we'll be back to, I don't want to say normal because a lot of things have happened that I think need to change, but in a, a sense of like having a normal life again where you can have social interactions where you can see your family you know I think we all kind of need to get to that standard plane Mm -hmm. of normal before we can really go out and make the changes in this country that need to be changed and um so I think it's really important that this is happening so go get vaccinated (laughs) yeah yeah and also because now today is my full two weeks of being vaccinated since the second vaccination so i can confirm and say today that i am officially fully vaccinated yep same now on thursday is my week to go out to california to see my family and finally my nephew i know that's exciting so we're recording two podcasts today Woo! (laughs) 
Yeah, just doing all the work today. We are doing all the work today. All right, so good things. Um, oh, yeah, good things. Good things. Where can our listeners find us or submit a survival story to? Yeah. So if you all want to submit a survival story to us, you can go online to our website, mothernaturewillpodcast.com, and go over to the tab that says contact us and fill out the form there. Or you can go slide into our DMs on social media at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast on Instagram or at MNWKY Podcast on Twitter. That acronym always fucks me up. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I have to think really hard about it. That's why I make you do it because I'm like, fuck if I know. <laughs> I should just put it on a sticky note and have it like in front of yeah. my face at all. Yeah. <laughs> MN. I'm like, Mother Nature, M N will kill you. W K Y. That's how I like, oh, Jesus. What the hell, Haley? Um, all right. So we will see you guys in two weeks um, to kind of conclude this little volcano adventure. Um, and we're signing off. Stay safe. But most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>